Well, I have a little experience watching church online because I've done it with my parents a couple of times. They love Sunday night services, and their church doesn't have a Sunday night service, so they watch my brother Nathan's Sunday night service, and they're really good at that. So I just want to encourage you, if you're watching somewhere at home or somewhere else, here's how you do this, like my mom and dad. When I would sit in the living room with my mom and dad, and they would be watching the evening service, you know, you'd be tempted to talk with them, and they would be like, shh, like we're in church, and they would pray when they prayed, and they would give when they give. Well, they, no, they didn't actually give, but they would pray when they prayed, and they would sing when they sang, and they would uh, amen when they preached. So now that's what we're going to be expecting of you, even though you're watching online. Well, if you're tired of hearing about virus scares, you can just listen to this message and then tune in about an hour later, watch television anywhere. That's all they're talking about on television. But we're going to do here today what we have done every Lord's Day, and that is we're going to look at the eternal Word of God. And it's amazing when you do that, when you open up your Bibles, and when you read your Bibles, how this ancient book, the Word of God, speaks directly to the things that affect us in our lives that we're going through. And I think that's what we're going to see today. We're in a series of messages on messages on letters to the churches from Jesus from Revelation chapter 2 and you want to take your Bible and look at Revelation chapter 2 and the text is verse 18 through 29 Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 through 29 is the text it's interesting to see how pastors and how Christian leaders over the years have responded to times of national emergency and how they've responded to times of crisis. Um, in World War II, June 8, 1941, London had been bombed by the Luftwaffe for months at a time. Initially, it was during the daytime that they had this incessant bombing upon London, and then it came at nighttime. Women that could and all the children were moved to the English countryside to avoid the danger of the bombing. 60 miles to the northwest of London was the place Oxford, and there was a teacher, an Oxford Don, who'd recently been converted to Christianity 10 years earlier, and he had a series of radio addresses um, during World War II uh, in, in the involvement in Europe in World War II. And in this series of radio addresses on basic Christianity or mere Christianity, he had become very, very popular and so on June 8th in 1941, this young Oxford Don, 45-year-old Oxford Don, whose name was, his friends called him Jack. Uh, his name was Clives, but most of the world knows him as C.S. Lewis. Would get in his car, his gardener would drive him that night. It was a June night and it was 65 degrees with a light breeze, a beautiful summer evening. And his gardener would drive him because C.S. Lewis never learned to drive. And he got into the car and he drove to the Church of St. Mary the Virgin, where he was, where he was invited to preach at, at Solemn Evensong that night. And he delivered a message that's become very famous called The Weight of Glory, which has been captured, obviously, in print. It's gone around the world, never been out of print. It was a powerful message based on this text of Scripture, Revelation chapter 2, really to powerfully encourage people during wartime in World War II. In Revelation chapter 2, the people in the city of Thyatira, the text that we're going to deal with today, the people in the city of Thyatira were going through 
an emergency, a difficulty, a hardship, an un, a time of uncertainty because of persecution. And during the time of persecution, some people, their faith got stronger and their obedience got better. And during times of persecution, some people began to drift away from the Lord. And as we read the text, what's interesting, in the light of things that are happening around us, as we read a text like this, what happens is immediately coming to your heart over and over again immediately will be uh, powerful helps, in particular, what to do during times of hardship and uncertainty. And so as we study this letter to the church of Thyatira, we're also going to see basically, you know, things to help you, tips to help you during times of hardship and times of uncertainty. I've often thought how wonderful it would have been to be in the audience in St. Mary's Church in Oxford on June 8, 1941, when famous C.S. Lewis climbed the steps of the pulpit and to a full church delivered this famous message. But the message that you have in your hands right now is much more famous and much more enduring even than that. Let's read it together. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. And to the angel of the church of Tha in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed your first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent, of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Now, if you've been paying attention to this series, you know that there are seven churches. There are a lot of sevens in Revelation. There's seven churches, and there's a sense in which each letter to each of the seven churches is broken in seven parts. Not precisely true because some are not commended and some are not condemned, but that's the basic literary structure. It's even much more sophisticated than that. What you see, all the different literary pieces put together form a very powerful message to the church of Thyatira and form a powerful message to us. Let's look at these seven pieces, the greeting and to the angel in the church of Thyatira or to the message, messenger to, of the church of Thyatira, right? Second thing, the identity of Jesus. Every one of the seven letters starts with a piece of the identity of who Jesus is based on the original vision that's in Revelation chapter one. And in this case, 
he says to the church of Thyatira really three things about Jesus. He said he calls him the son of God, which is significant, with eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Each of these descriptions would be uniquely powerful to that particular church. And here's why. The phrase, the son of God, is never used anywhere else in Revelation. This is the only place where it's used. He prefers to use the son of man, which points back to Daniel. But why to the church of Thyatira does he call himself the son of God? The Caesar had used that title. He usurped that title and impressed that title upon the people. And because the Caesar demanded worship and identified himself as the son of God, Jesus, who normally identifies himself as the son of man, in this case says, I am the son of God. And then the next phrase, he has eyes like a flame of fire. He can see with an omniscient eyesight. He misses nothing. He knows everything. And in particular, he knows, the, I think the idea would have come to the church of Thyatira like this. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're experiencing right now. He knows what's happening to you right now. He knows what's happening in your church. He knows what's happening to your family. He has eyes like a flame of fire. And then the third thing is, it says that his feet like burnished bronze. Thyatira was known for its special treatment of zinc to form a very strong metal. And to the believers here, Jesus says, don't be intimidated by that. I'm coming and my feet are burnished bronze. And this term is only used twice in the Bible. He's saying my feet are of the strongest metal, stronger than anything. Over and over again, in a beautiful kind of literary arrangement, Jesus continually says to all the churches, I am better, I am greater. In other words, you may have upheaval in your life, in this case, persecution. In our case, maybe some other kind of upheaval. You may have upheaval in your life, but I'm, I'm greater than that upheaval. I'm greater than that threat. I'm greater than that persecution. I'm greater than that hardship. I'm greater than that uncertainty. And that's what Jesus is saying here in his, in his identity. This leads me to tip number one. As we go along through this today, and as I studied it this week, and I thought about our circumstances, it occurred to me over and over again that there are a number of things that would be useful for us to remember in times of hardship and uncertainty. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share them with you one at a time. I think there are about eight of them. And this is the first one. In a time of hardship and uncertainty, keep a vision of Son of Man before you. Keep a vision of the Son of Man before you. Don't ever let any threat or any enemy or anything get bigger in your heart than the picture that you have of Jesus who is greater than any other thing. A man whose son was going through a tremendous hardship one day and the man told me, I, I went home and I got in bed and I couldn't go to sleep because all I could think of is this terrible hardship that my son was going through and how sad he was. He said, night after night, he said, I just got in my bed and I prayed and I cried myself to sleep at night, weeping and staying awake in the night. Over and over, week after week and month after month, he said, I prayed and I cried myself to sleep because my son was going through such difficulty. Then he said, God spoke to my heart one night while I was praying. And it was as if God said to me, I have to do to your son, I have to do to your son what I'm doing to your son in order to make of your son what I'm making of your son. And when he heard that from the Lord in his heart, he said, I continue to pray, but then I could sleep. This is what we need to understand. God is in his heaven, and all is right with the world. 
God will do what God will do. He's the king. And in this case, he says to the church of Thyatira, he's a son of God with eyes like a flame of fire, with feet like burnished bronze. So tip number one, if you will, in times of uncertainty and hardship would be keep a vision of the Son of Man before you. Notice a third thing. A commendation is given to the church of Thyatira. A commendation in verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed your first. This is a, this is a powerful commendation that one should want to receive. Jesus says to the church of Thyatira, I've seen what you do. I know your works and I know your faith and I know your service, and I see your patient endurance, and I see that you're actually growing in this. Your, 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 your latter works exceed the first. In other words, your, your most recent works are greater than your older works. You're getting better at this. You're getting better at being a good church that's loving. So Thyatira was a loving church, and then it was a faithful church, and it was a hardworking church, and it was a patient church, and it was progressing in all of this. And so uh, it's probably important for us to remember, especially now in these times, that when there's hardship around us, and really there always is hardship around us, but when there's hardship around us, it is an opportunity for, uh, opportunity for us to love people. It's an opportunity for us to be the church. It's like a bad snowstorm. Now you can go meet your neighbors and help them shovel their walk. Uh, or it's like you watch your neighbor and you see that his car, he just can't get it started, like the battery's dead. You can go over there because you have jumper cables. Now you have an opportunity. It's, what's, what's bad is good in terms of an opportunity to love somebody. Years ago, and by the way, this is a tip number two for hard and uncertain times. Do good works in Jesus' name and see hardship as a special opportunity. And you want to get better and better at this. You want to grow in this. This is what he said to the church in Thyatira. I see you're growing in this. We want to get better and better at doing good works in Jesus' name. It's the soil of good works that we plant the seed of the gospel in. When I was a pastor in Fremont, in May of the year, one year, there was a storm that came through, and it came through early on a Sunday morning, and it was a huge electrical storm that knocked out power. Trees were blown over, and, and it swept through town quickly and did its damage. But when we woke up on Sunday morning, there was no power in town except, and so I got in my car, I, I couldn't make coffee, and I thought, well, I don't need coffee, but I want it, you know, so I thought, I'll go get some coffee. Across town, I'm sure they'll have generators at McDonald's or something like that. So I drove all the way across town, and there was no coffee at McDonald's or Burger King or anywhere else. I couldn't find coffee anywhere. So then I drove back home, I thought, wow, I gotta quit looking for coffee and go to work because we're not going to cancel our church services. We are not going to cancel. We actually had power at the church, even though I remember that morning, that, that we, we actually met on one side of the auditorium. And it was just pretty much a handful of people, maybe a third of the normal crowd. And I did what I normally do, kind of an abbreviated song service because some of our musicians couldn't be there. And then my, my message. And after I got done and I went home that afternoon, it hit me that I had missed a powerful opportunity we have ladies in that church that could have made coffee for the whole town. Good Dutch ladies that could have gone to the church kitchen, made big pots of coffee. We, had a, we have young people in the church that could have made signs, free coffee, and they could have gone out to the road and they could have put the sign up, said free coffee this way. We would have served all of those wonderful people in that little town in West Michigan and we would have had an opportunity to show love. 
When the elders were meeting and praying on Saturday morning, we were talking about what we should do during this time of hardship. I told them that story, and I asked them, let's think about how we can make coffee for our community. Let's think of a way that we can, and I would say the burden is not on the church at large or the elders at large, the burden is on every believer to just look around his world and say, who can I help? I noticed in, I think when that happens, it'll bring us great joy. Even, even though it's a, hard, a time of hardship. I, I saw on the internet, on a little, uh, uh, a little uh, video on the internet, where in, in Italy, you know, everyone is, bound, is pretty much confined to their homes. And so there was a video, and it was in the courtyard of uh, an apartment complex. And the apartment complex was a high-rise apartment complex, and everybody had their own little tiny balcony. And somebody had the idea, a fellow just stepped out of the balcony with, a, uh, with an accordion, and he began to sing a beautiful Italian song with this accordion. And then somebody else came out and got their accordion, and they began to sing with him. And then some people got tambourines, and then couples were dancing, and children were singing, and everyone was, everyone was singing. I think this is the way it can be. When we go through a great hardship, but we're together, and we're trusting the Lord, we now have an opportunity to grow in good works. And so let's just pray this week that God will show us something. There was a fellow who had an idea when he noticed that, there, that hand sanitizer was going to be a valuable commodity. He and his brother jumped in their SUV, and they drove around to all the stores in their area, and they bought all the hand sanitizer they could find. There's a picture of this, interesting picture of this. He's got a garage full of hand sanitizer because he was going to jack up the price really high and then he was going to resell it and he was going to get wealthy. But, but Amazon was on to him and eBay was on to him and they canceled his business. So now he has a garage full of hand sanitizer. You know, at a time like this, it's not a time to hoard or take advantage of people. People are going to take advantage of other people during a time like this. But for the church, it's a time... It's a special time to love people. It's a special time to do good. It's a special time to care for people. And, and uh, there's a church I heard of, and I won't name it, but a large church here in our state, very large church, with, that's really actually a wealthy church. And uh, I was talking with some of the leaders of the church, and I, I asked them, this must be very difficult to have to cancel services and have so many expenses. And the person that was one of the pastors on the staff says, you know what's happening is our, our church is doing well. So we got together as leaders and we decided that we're going to find other churches that, you know, if they cancel services one week, they might not be able to pay their basic bills that week. We're spending at least $20,000 this week helping other churches. Now, in Thyatira, Jesus commends this church for doing good works and for growing in good works. They're commended for this. And this is a good thing for us to remember too. Do good works in Jesus' name. See hardship as a special opportunity and get better and better at it. Now, there's a condemnation. There's something they were doing wrong. And this is pretty serious. This kept me awake a little bit last night as I thought, am I going to deal with this with the same gravity that Jesus dealt with this? There's some very hard language. There's some harsh language here. This is serious to Jesus. And we really dare not soften it or we distort the word Notice what he says in a condemnation or, or almost like a threat. Uh, he says, but I have, this is verses 21 and 20, 20 and 21. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. 
of her sexual immorality. So what was wrong here? That he condemned the church because some in the church were tolerant. It's the same as the church that we studied last week. Were tolerant of participation in, in pagan rituals, which, religious rituals, which included sexual immorality. And he said, and this is powerfully relevant to the modern church, the church shouldn't be tolerant of sexual immorality or any other sin. It should be patient with sinners. I think it's fascinating here that when you read this, what does it say about Jezebel? Of course, this is probably not her name. It's probably, you know, a, a literary name based on Jezebel of the Old Testament. There probably weren't people in New Testament times naming their daughters Jezebel because of the fame that she inspired. But there was a woman who's, who was um, encouraging and teaching and practicing involvement in pagan temples, eating meat offered idols, and which led to sexual immorality. And what does Jesus say about her? He says, I gave her time to repent. To me, that's, that's fascinating on a personal level. I often have been mired in my own sin and struggled to have victory over my own sin. And every Christian does, without exception. And it's interesting to know that Jesus doesn't, even though he could, he, he doesn't decide to hit us all immediately with lightning when we don't repent of our sin. He says about this woman who was really wicked, I gave her time to repent. But what is he saying to the church in Thyatira? He's saying this, I gave her time to repent. Now it's time for you to act on this. Those of you who are participating in this need to stop participating in this. And those of you who are leaders need to address this. That's kind of what he's saying. You notice, uh, which kind of leads me to tip number three during hard and uncertain times, and that is that we should keep a tender heart about our own sin. We should keep a tender heart about our own sin, and we should give others time to repent. Now, they need to repent, and we need to repent when we sin. In a time of hardship, one of the first things that God's people should do is they should examine their own life. They should examine their own practice. They should, they should ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? That's one of the first things we do. You say there's a big national tragedy or difficulty, then like, like wise, godly people over the years have called for days of fasting and prayer. Our own president called for a day of prayer, a, a national day of prayer today. And we should be eager to pray and ask God to deliver us from our enemies and deliver us from uh, our difficulties and deliver us from pestilence or persecution or, or, or plague. But first, what we should do, before we look to, f to others, we should look within and we should be tenderhearted about our own sin. Every man, every woman, every young girl and every young boy should have a quiet time with the Lord, examine their own heart during a time of hardship. This should just be the pattern that we have. When there's a hardship in my life, hardship in our church or hardship in our nation, every Christian should humble themselves and should seek the Lord and should examine themselves for any wrong and, and repent and turn from it. It's beautiful that we have the freedom and the opportunity to do that. There's something interesting in this. You know, Ephesus, earlier on, uh, Jesus says of them, you are doctrinally sound, but you're not loving. And to Thyatira, he says, you're loving but you're not doctrinally sound. And so the ideal church would be the mix between Ephesus and Thyatira. Doctrinally sound, faithful in this, and also loving and full of good works. That's what we should pray for. And so that would lead me to tip number four, and that is in hard 
and uncertain times, I say, keep your balance. In other words, make sure that you have love and truth. When you're dealing with people, that, that, that you're praying for their conversion, their salvation, or you're praying for their progress in faith, or maybe you see something in their life that they don't see that needs to be changed, keep your balance. And that is, you want to be valiant for truth, and you want to be genuinely loving, and, and, and you don't want to be out of balance in those things, and especially in a time of hardship, right? When we're under pressure, when we have difficulty, when we look around and we go, oh, wait, I don't have enough food in the house. It might be a time when you would be lacking in love or you might compromise truth. He said at a time like that, in a time of hardship or uncertainty in the Thyatiran church, it was obviously persecution and compromise. He was saying to them, during those times, both love and truth should be a part of what you do. In the passage in verses 22 and 23 then, you see a warning, a threat. Look what it says. Behold, I will throw you into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw, into, I'll throw her into a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each one according to your works. So this is pretty serious language. And notice the people in the passage. You have Jezebel, who is a woman who's uh, participating in false teaching, which includes paganism, uh, eating meat off the idols, probably participation in pagan rituals, and sexual immorality. It's interesting that this woman was from Thyatira. And if you're a student of the Bible and you read a book of Acts, maybe you remember another woman from Thyatira. Does it strike, does it, does it remind you of anybody? When Paul gets into, the, here's a Macedonian call, and he goes over to Philippi, and he goes to the riverside, and there's some people there, some faithful people clustered together, and they're praying together in a little tiny church meeting, or a little church, little beginning of a church meeting by the river. And among them was a leader, and her name was Lydia, and she was, a, a, she was from Thyatira. And, uh, and she uh, was obviously a person of some means, and the church met in her house. And Lydia from Thyatira was probably, was obviously a, a help to found the church in Philippi, and perhaps helped to found the church in Thyatira, as far as we know. It, it, it makes me think, as I thought about this, um, I have been a pastor for 40 years, and I've been in church all of my life, and I've noticed how powerful it is to have women who love the Lord and who are serving the Lord and there are women who are a help to the church. And, you know, God forbid there are women that can be harmful too. And, if, uh, and so we should pray for our young ladies and we should pray for our women. And we should pray that we have uh, Lydia's in the church and that the Jezebels would repent, right? And if I uh, was uh, a young woman, you know, this would be my prayer, that God would use me in order to be a good influence on the family that I'm in, on the marriage that I'm in, on the church that I'm am involved in. Notice uh, those who commit adultery with her. He, he threatens those if they don't repent. Her children, which is, he says he's gonna, he's gonna deal harshly. He's gonna kill her children. Well, there's a, a reference to, obviously, those who are influenced by her, or I believe, her spiritual offspring. offspring. You can't dabble with false doctrine without damage coming. Lies lead to death. And, and this is simply what Jesus is threatening. You follow that course, and I'm going to judge it. I'm going to judge those who follow the course of false doctrine like that, and they're going to die, and their offspring, the people that they influence spiritually, are going to die. 
and all the churches. And then he says to the rest, in a kind of a, in a kind of a mercy, he says, but to the rest, verse 24, of you in Thyatira. In other words, you might have been reading that and thinking, I've been saying that. That's what I've been saying. I haven't been doing that. I haven't been participating in that. He says, I know there are those of you who haven't participated in that who do not hold this teaching and have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay upon you another burden. And this is common in the Bible. God cares about not putting unnecessary burdens on people. You can see this throughout the New Testament. If you should be burdened, then by all means be burdened. But if you're innocent, he doesn't want you to have, if you're doing something that's not really a sin, he doesn't want you to belabor it. Remember, remember the Gentiles coming to God in, the, uh, in, the, in Acts 15 when there was the, uh, the Jerusalem council. And they said, don't burden the Gentiles. Don't give them any greater burden than they already have. And in this case, he says, if you're in Thyatira and you're not participating in that, I'm not talking to you. I just want you to finish faithful. And I love that, that that's there. That's interesting. And it's so true to life. You've not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. So to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. And then he says, only hold fast until I come. So that, that is something interesting here. Have you noticed, if you, and if you've read ahead, that seven churches in Revelation, you, you have no idea how large they are. In our culture, one of the first things we talk about is how big is that church? In our culture, one of the first things we talk about is tell me about that church's architecture, you know. Um, uh, but in the New Testament, there's no reference to the church's architecture for reasons that are obvious. They have buildings. And there's no reference to the church's size. You can't find a reference to a church's size. He says, I search your heart. I search mind and heart. He says, I'm not counting your offerings. I'm not counting your tenants. That's not the main thing I'm concerned about. I'm searching. I'm, I'm looking at something bigger than that. I'm searching mind and heart. That brings me to tip number five, and that is to see things the way God sees things. When you're in a time of hardship and uncertainty, as those in Thyatira were, and as we are to a degree today, ask God, help me see this the way you see it. You search mind and heart. You see inside things. You know what's really true. So we should be say, saying to the Lord, you tell me, God, how I should feel about this. Every, there are hundreds of talking heads everywhere, every day, and whether or not they should have an opinion, they do. Recently, you might have seen a soccer coach who was interviewed on television, and somebody asked him about the, the virus scare. And he said, I'm a soccer coach. I'm not involved in medicine. I don't know anything about that. Don't ask me questions like that. What we ought to do is we ought to go to the person who really has the answers. And the person who really has the answers is the one who searches minds and hearts. And we should say, God, how do you see this and my response to hardship and so forth? That'd be tip number five. There's also a correction that he gives them in verses 24 and 25. A correction and a command what they're to do. Verses 24 and 25. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who don't hold to this teaching... Who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. So what was the, com the command was, was finish faithful. Hold to what you have and do it until when? Until I come. And that brings me to number six, a tip in hard and uncertain times, and that is keep the end in mind 
And this is powerfully important. All through the Bible, it, it, it never encourages us to do a full and final evaluation, you know, looking at what's right before us. How's it going right now? What do I have right now? Always says, think of eternal things. What's it going to be like? You hold fast until the end in this particular time. He says this. It'd be a little bit like, imagine that you went away for a weekend. And you, you and your wife, you got a little uh, time uh, off. And so you decided that you didn't want to spend a lot of money on your hotel. So you would go ahead and check into the, the Red Roof Inn or Motel 6. And your wife says, let's just save money. We'll go to the Motel 6. So now you're three or four days in a Motel 6 somewhere, Dollywood or something like that. And imagine that you get into the motel and you, and you check in and you put your baggage in the Motel 6. And your wife goes, wow, that's a really small television. You know, we're going to be here two or three days. We should probably get a bigger television. You go, you're right. Imagine that you drive off to Best Buy and you buy like a 54-inch television. You bring it back and you rewire it. Now you have a... And your wife then, she says, These, the floor is, the carpet is nasty. This is a nasty carpet. And you go, you're right. So you get in your car and you go back to Lowe's and you buy some beautiful floor covering. You come back and, and you put a really nice expensive floor in there. I mean, that's what, and then you say, look at that, look at that weeny little teeny tiny refrigerator over there. That's a, we're going to need a better refrigerator than that. And your wife says, I'm, I, I can't even stay here for two or three days if I don't have a better refrigerator than that. You call, call that a refrigerator? So you go down to Lowe's and you pick up a big refrigerator that makes ice and stuff like that. Who would do that? Who would do such a foolish thing? Who would do such a foolish thing? Who would spend all their money and pour all their time and all their effort and all their money into something that really was temporary. Who would do such a thing? Well, that would only be a foolish person. That would be a this world person, a this world, a worldly person. Come to think of it, we all do that. We're building our little kingdoms. God's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull the plug on this someday soon. And I want you to be faithful until the end. I want you to live with the end in mind. There's a promise of those who overcome. It's beautiful. And, and there's a promise of those who overcome in every one of the seven churches, right? And the word that overcome, remember I told you that's the Nike word. It's the victory word, overcome or victorious. Listen to what he says. The one who conquers, one who overcomes, Nike, the victor, who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give, he says two things, I'll give you authority, a rule over the nations, and, and I'm going to give you the morning star. But let's read it. He says, I'll give you authority over the nations, and you'll rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star, the one who's overcome. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's he saying? Well, it's probably important to understand in this matter of authority over the nations that in Thyatira especially, you know, we talked about uh, Pergamos and, and how it was a center of learning and others uh, that were a center of, 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 of Smyrna, a center of learning, and Pergamos, a, a center of uh, false religion. And if Thyatira was the center of something, it was, uh, it was the center of the guilds or working people, uh, if you will, skilled trades. And so archaeologists in Thyatira have discovered inscriptions that show this city was busy with trade and had many professional guilds bakers bronze workers clothiers cobblers weavers tanners dyers potters also if you'd not sacrifice to idols and if you participated in moral 
idolatry, if you, if you would not be willing to sacrifice to idols, which would probably involve participating in immorality, you could not be a member of the guild, and so you would be relegated to a servant class, and you would live in poverty and hard labor. It is to these faithful people, he says, if you're patient and you endure to the end, you will rule one day. I'll give you cities to rule. You'll have delightful things to do with your hands and with your creativity. That's what he's saying to them. And then what's this about the morning star? He who overcomes, he'll be given the morning star. It's as if he's saying, if you're faithful to me, if you're loyal to me, then you'll have for eternity me in a depth of relationship. The more, you will have the more, you see what he says? I will give him the morning star. In C.S. Lewis's great message that he delivered uh, there in June of 41 at the Church of St. Mary's the Virgin in Oxford, this is where he went. He said, ultimately, people are made for glory. They're made to step through the cracks following Christ our captain into the real world, and there they'll put on glory. They'll, they'll, they'll have fellowship with Jesus. They will be fulfilled in the way that they can only be fulfilled when they're in eternity with Jesus. And all the things that we loved in this world, in nature and so forth, were hints of those things. And we he says, and we follow our captain Jesus through the crack in the worlds that we can see whenever you know, we see a sunrise or hear a baby's laughter or watch uh, or hear a bird song or have something good to eat. It's a hint of eternal and immortal things. He says, we, we put on glory and the ultimate thing of that will be in the presence of of the one who is called the morning star, Jesus. You know, the scriptures uh, teach this uh, clearly. If you listen to this, 2 Peter 1, 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you'll do well to pay attention as a lamp that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It's really like Peter is saying, you need an experience where it's like you have a spiritual dawn or an enlightenment where you realize who Jesus is. And then when you realize who Jesus is, you want to spend eternity with him. And if you're faithful to the end, which is, which is uh, another way of saying the saints that persevered, you're genuinely saved and you persevere to the end, you'll have that intimacy, that fellowship with Jesus and notice it says uh, in Revelation 22, and verse 16, the morning star is specifically decoded. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David. I am the bright morning star. So all these things lead us to tips number seven and eight. Tip number seven is embrace humility for now and, 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 and be willing to defer compensation. Yes, you, you may be, we may be pressed into humble service in our time on this earth as they were excluded from the guilds and had to serve. But there will come a time when God will give us rule. And, and, and one of the keys to faithful Christian living is, can I say it that way? Deferred compensation. God, I know that one day you're going to make all this right. I could have said deferred justice because one day things that are really unfair now will be made right. And then the, the eighth and the final tip is uh, in times of uncertainty and hardship, is very similar to the first one. That's treasure Jesus. And we said, we said, keep a vision of the Son of Man and treasure him with all of your heart. He is the morning star. He is your reward. Jesus and fellowship with him and eternity with him is your reward. When something happens, 
that's never happened before in your lifetime, you can't help but be concerned. When something happens that's never happened before in your lifetime, people can't help but being concerned. Am I right? Like I've never, in my lifetime, when I was a kid, we would go to church and we would have testimony services in the evening service. And some old saint would always get up. Maybe they were thinking about you know, the threat of communism. There were all these stories about communist lands where people weren't allowed to assemble, you know. Some old saint would always get up and pray. Almost every time you met, somebody would say, I just thank the Lord that the Lord's given us freedom to meet here tonight. And I've all my life never had a lack of, and today we don't either. We, 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 we comply because we want to show love in our community. That's what we've done. And yet, it does make you realize when you drive in and you think that privilege of being able to assemble with God's people is a great, great privilege that we have taken for granted. And all of our lifetime in the United States, we've never had an experience where we couldn't gather with as many people as we wanted to. It should make us really sober. When times are hard and when they're uncertain, you can't help but be concerned. And so yesterday I called my daughter Heidi just to check on her. She's the, the single mom. And so she lives a long way away from here. It doesn't have a lot of people around her that know her and can take care of her. So I'm always concerned for her. So I call her and I say, how are you doing? And do you have enough money? Are you doing, she's working she's to, to make money and she's out delivering things to people. And uh, what she's delivering is mostly necessities to older people who are afraid and as she's gone in and out of the stores all day more and more she feels anxiety because she said dad i've never seen it like this and you know what she said it was so sweet every day i say i'm worried about you i care about you i'm you know be careful whatever she says i'm worried about you and mom you know you're old (laughs) and i said well i appreciate you being concerned about us, being in that vulnerable population of, of the aged like that. How sweet it was, though, that I thought, wow. And I want to tell Heidi, I want to tell Heidi something that, that I've learned, and that is that hard times can be good times if you follow the Lord and stick together. Hard times can be good times if you follow the Lord and if you stick together. This week, my parents moved. They retired, resigned from their church, moved to senior housing in Kalamazoo. And you could tell they're very concerned about it. They were concerned about details, a little bit worried to faithful Christian people, but they were a little concerned about it. You could tell they're concerned about it. And so then all the siblings got together, my brother Nathan, my brother Kevin, my sister Melanie, the families, we all got together on Friday and we moved. And what I could tell was that what, what they were really worried about and what they're really concerned about really kind of turned into a happy family reunion. You know, it was hard. Nobody likes moving, and we're all, you know, old, like my daughter said. But we got all the stuff in there. And when we did, you know, somebody ordered cheap pizza, and we sat around, we looked at each other. And remember, year after year after year, no matter what we've gone through, no matter how hard things have been, we know we're together, and we know the Lord is with us. We're trusting Him, and we're together. Hard times can be good times if you follow the Lord and if you stick together. I've been a pastor for 40 years. Early in my ministry, I was pastoring in rural, wonderful rural areas with farm people. And often they would be people up in years that would love it for you to just stop by unannounced on their farms. It was very common for me to go into the study in the morning and study, and then in the afternoon just drive through the countryside and just stop in whatever farm I want to stop in. And it would uh, often be wonderful fellowship with really good, hardworking people who were usually good cooks and bakers and gardeners. 
And then inevitably during that time, they would tell me that they lived through World War II and they lived through the Great Depression. And they would tell you about how they're careful in their gardening because they had to save money and how they didn't waste things, how they made their own toys. And they'd always have stories about this terrible time of the Great Depression or stories about this terrible time of World War II. And yet, they would always, believing people, they would always smile and they'd always say something like, hard times will be well remembered if we follow the Lord and if we stick together. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to tell the church in Thyatira. You follow me. You don't get distracted. You continue in your faithfulness. You look for ways to love and serve and you be faithful to the end and I'll reward you forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could uh, be here assembled in this unusual way together and we could study your word as we do every Sunday. We pray for our great country. We pray for this world that we're living in and the hardships that people, the fear and the anxiety that spread around the world that people are concerned. Pray for those that are in, in any kind of harm's way and those that are just overcome with inordinate anxiety. Help us to remember that hard times can be, will be remembered as good times if we follow you and if we stick together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.